Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, everybody. It's good to see you here. Before we start, let's uh, start with a word of prayer. God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth and taught your will for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You know, Christmas has been a very special time for me in my childhood, as well as I'm sure that if you're listening, it is and has been a very special time for you. One of the things that I can't get out of my head whenever Christmas rolls around are Christmas songs. And depending on who you are, you either love them or you hate them. I've rarely met someone who's neutral about Christmas songs because in this season, it's just blasted in your face. Um, so it's almost as if you can't not have an opinion. And so there are songs on repeat that I believe are designed to make you go cr- crazy, um, like the lyrics and how it's just musically put together and composed. Like last Christmas, I gave you my heart and then the very next day you gave it away, and then you just have to keep on singing it every year. So you're in this vicious cycle of giving your heart away and then having it broken, but you have to sing it again next year because it's just played on the radio. And so I'm sorry, you guys, you're just gonna have to get your heart broken this Christmas too. But for me in my childhood, I loved this one song, and it was sung as a round. And um, it was Christmas is coming, The goose is getting fat. Please put a penny in the old man's hat. If you haven't got a penny, then a hay penny will do. If you haven't got a hay penny, then God bless you. Okay, everybody. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I love this song as a kid because it was sung as a round and I loved it. So the first group would go, Christmas is coming, the goose is getting fat. 
Please put a penny in the old man's hand. And the next group would have to go, Christmas is coming. And then while this person, while this group continues to sing, and I love music, especially during this time, and I'll be that guy who'd be singing his part as perfectly as he can. And if someone else messes up, I would be the one glaring. He's like, you're wrong. You're offbeat. How can you not get this right? And I love the song. As a kid, I didn't know why we were singing about geese or hay pennies for that matter. What is a hay penny? <laughs> so I would think like that. Um, Christmas geese were special because back in the day, uh, people didn't eat turkey, ham, or beef like we do traditionally now. Uh, they ate geese. And geese were, um, they would get fatter as harvest time passed. So as uh, you would harvest the corn, a lot of the corn kernels would drop on the floor. Geese would pick that up and eat it, and they would get the most fattest around this time. Geese, goose fat was especially nice because among other fats, and if you're a cook, you probably know this, and this is probably just second uh, nature or just language to you or knowledge to you, but uh, other fats... They liquefy at higher temperatures. Most fats liquefy like 120 to 130 degrees, like duck fat is 126. But goose fat is 111, which is huge. Um, but <laughs> it, would, it would liquefy more. It's the so one of the softest fats you can ingest. And so this was something that people looked forward to. I don't think we geese now. Um, I think when people think of geese, um, people's picture is more of, oh, what a pest, or one tried to peck out my eye the other day in the church parking lot. And um, I, I haven't seen one recently in our church parking lot, but for the past few years, almost every year, a goose would lay their young or eggs in our church parking lot. And I would always wonder why. What's so special about our, our parking lot? So I had to do my research and then I, I, I read that um, geese always go out to like landscape areas where there aren't many obstructions so they can see like enemies or predators coming. So that's why you have goose poop all over parks because it's just, there's no obstruction or like football fields or church parking lots, right? And so we, I think we as uh, members of our church or this church, we've had our run-ins with geese as well. There was this one goose that I think tried to poke out my eyes once too. And I was taking out the garbage as a young pastor and I think I was like 30 feet away but that goose was just angry that day and just flew at me and I wondered what I should do in that split seconds like do I kill it? Then, then people would hate me. Um, do I get my eyes like ripped out? Then I'd just be blind? I was like, oh, please stop. And it just stopped right in front of me. It's like, thank the Lord. And then I just threw the garbage out, and then I walked back. But I, a lot of people here have had their run-ins. Um, but it's about celebrating. You celebrate, and you wait. The goose is getting fat. And there's an excitement that comes when you turn on the radio, when you see the goose that you've seen growing, getting fat. And not only about celebration, there's another aspect to the song which is very um, much in line with our tradition and how we've been 
celebrating Christmas. And there's, there's, the song goes, uh, talks about giving money or a penny to an old man's hat. And if you don't have a penny, then a hay penny will do, which is half a penny. So we don't have hay pennies now. But back in the olden days, when I was young, no, this is way before that. Um, they used to have hay pennies, which is half a penny. And if you don't have a hay penny, then God bless you. So it was about charity. So the first part of the song is about celebration, and the second part is about charity. And so we sing songs like this, commemorating Christmas and waiting for the Lord to come. And this is exciting to us, but when we read this passage, we see that the first Christmas, the first time this happened, it wasn't necessarily like this. Uh, there's something that comes before the celebration and something that comes before charity. Even though celebration and charity are important to remember in Christmas, there's something that comes before celebration and before charity. Joseph was betrothed to Mary, and he was supposed to marry Mary. And what happened was that he found out Mary was pregnant. And when he found out Mary was pregnant, uh, he decided, because it says here he was a just man, he didn't want to put her to shame to divorce her quietly. The fact that Mary was pregnant meant that in all likelihood, there was no other way around it, there's no other way you can think about this, was that means she slept with some other man. And she got pregnant before they were married. Um, Back in those days, they took betrothals very seriously. Meaning, if you're betrothed to somebody, then it was basically like you were already married, but it hadn't been consummated yet. It's kind of like the engagement now, but it's, been, it's taken way more seriously. And um, it was about a year long, and they would just prepare for marriage. Um, and they would be consummated on the day of marriage, their relationship. But before, they got married, this happened. So he didn't want to put her to shame. If he followed the law, then he could have had Mary stoned and put to death. Um, I don't know if he would have gone to that extreme, but in the very least, he would have saved his own face, saying, look what she did, and because of what she did, I can't do it. So he could save himself from looking bad. And so he didn't do either of those things. He decided to divorce her quietly, And this is why the Bible calls him a just man. Uh, But we see here that Mary wasn't pregnant by just a man. Mary became pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Mary was a virgin when she became pregnant. This is very important for us to remember and realize and recognize as Christians. Not only did Matthew write about Mary's virginity, Luke wrote about Mary's virginity. Mary knew about Mary's virginity. And it was incredibly important that they tell this story the way it was. Not like, you know, it just kind of happened. But these aspects were important. And it shows us why in Isaiah 7.14 there is a prophecy of what is to come. And it is in verse 23 in our passage today. It says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. There is a reason for the birth. There is a reason for this season. And it is being shown here. 
this isn't just a myth that Christians believe. It's like, oh yeah, you know, like Hercules is half man, half God. So Jesus is kind of like, you know, when God consummates with a human being. It wasn't like that at all. In fact, in the midst of all this Greek mythology, we see here that this was factual, historical. This actually happened, and this was an incredible mystery, but yet it was true, so they had to say it. They had to say it the way it was. And so they wrote about it exactly the way it happened. And it was a myth because it wasn't written like a myth. A myth was something like, um, you know, this person was birthed through a strike of lightning and his eyes were like fireballs and his feet were like rods of iron sticking out. And then, you know, that would be a myth. But you see here a very humble process. Even drama take place and ensue. They didn't write myths like that. They didn't write myths like, I'm not too sure. I think I'll divorce her quietly. They didn't write myths like that. They would only write that if it was true. And so we see here Joseph was probably racking his brains out. What do I do? This is so terrible. He was probably hurt, and he was singing the song last Christmas, and he was like, what do I do? My heart is broken. I gave it to you, and you gave it to somebody else, and he decides, you know what? I am not going to have vengeance. And I'm going to do this for Mary. And that's when the angel visits him and says, don't do this and take Mary as your wife because the son that she has isn't from any, just any old person. The son that she has is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And this is what we pray in our Apostles' Creed every week. And she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will save people from their sins. So before celebration, there is something, and before charity, there is something. Before celebration, we see that there is a declaration. Before celebration, you need to know why you need to celebrate. There needs to be a reason for the celebration, and we see that there is a declaration. Jesus is coming, and he will save people from their sins. And this declaration is the reason for our celebration. And before there's charity, we see here that there is submission. The fact that we can be charitable in this season, the fact that we can give, even sometimes beyond our means in many ways, is after we see that Joseph submitted to the will of God and this story is now coming to pass. Um, how do you picture God? You know, how do you picture God? In an early age, we may think God is like Santa Claus. And if you think so, as you grow up, you think God is kind of a creeper. He's kind of a stalker. Or in today's language, we call these people freelance private investigators. But he knows if he's like Santa Claus, what, he knows when you're sleeping? He knows when you're awake, that's kind of scary. And instead of doing the things that you want to do, you feel kind of constricted because if you don't do the things that Santa wants you to do, if you don't do the things that God wants you to do, you're just going to get a lump of coal. No one wants that. Coal, coal miners get diseases and they die. 
I want a nice gift. I want a diamond. No, I, I personally don't. I'm just saying. Some, some people want diamonds. Um, <clears throat> but all this shows us that even the way we see and look at God, if it's like Santa Claus, and you look at these little kids who say, you better not pout, you better not cry, you better not shout, and I'm going to tell you why. It's because the Advent is Santa Claus. See, that's wrong. That's, the, the whole song is wrong. The Advent isn't Santa Claus. Santa Claus is not about Santa Claus coming to town. It's about Jesus that came to this earth. And if we see it that way, then we see Santa Claus as we grow, or God as we grow, as this constrictive, restrictive, paralyzing being because he's looking. And as he looks, if you do something wrong, he's going to kind of take away your tip. I know people that do that in restaurants. I've, I've heard people do that. Uh, in the beginning, they said, you know what, I'm going to put on these, like, you know, if the tip should be like $15, they'll put $15 bills. And as each, as each time the waiter does something wrong, they take out a dollar. Um, I think that's like the worst thing ever. Please don't do that. But people see God that way. He's going to take away your tip every time you do something wrong. There's something wrong with that picture. When we grow up with that picture, when we feel like that picture, um, the focus isn't actually on Santa Claus anymore either, is it? And when we live like that, the focus isn't on God. This Christmas story isn't about Joseph. Martin Luther writes, the mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. You know, we can have a celebration because God does only what he can do, which is save the world. We can have charity because God calls us to join alongside him in his work. He didn't just... Oh, Jesus, let's go. And boom, he came by himself. Boom, on the mountaintop, there I am with lightning bolts just flying from his hands and fireballs shooting from his eyeballs. He didn't come down like that. In fact, we see that God called his people to join alongside him. And there is something amazing that happens in this calling to join alongside him. The angel says, you shall call his name Jesus. There is a naming event. Um, what's the significance of a naming event? You know, when you have children, you want to name them what you want to name them. And this is what our young parents or parents-to-be are thinking. If I have a kid, I'm going to name this kid this name. This is an authority that is given or a privilege that is given to parents and especially in that time and that day and age, it was given to the father. The father was able to name the child or the mother in some instances were able to name the child. The parents were able to name the child. And yet in both cases, when the angel visited Mary and the angel visited Joseph, they were not given that ability to name the child. When you are able to name something, you are given something. So... God didn't go to Adam, hey, guess what? I've run out of creativity. Man, I am beat. For six full days, I was doing all these amazing things and, 
I just made the heavens and the earth, the waters. Adam, I'm beat. You, you take over some of that load. You name these animals. He didn't do that because of that reason. In fact, he named, he let Adam name the animals because he let God, Adam have dominion over the animals, authority over the animals. God didn't run out of names, but the fact that you can name something means you had dominion over it or authority over it. Society now tells us that, hey, you have to name yourself. You have to figure out your own name. And how do you name yourself? And a lot of times we want to name ourselves, I am this, I am that. Or you can't name me, culture can't name me, only I can name myself. And a lot of times we think, we think we're naming ourselves, but we're not. How do we define ourselves? How do we name ourselves? And a lot of times the way we did it, we ended up having an idol. Whatever we thought we were naming ourselves with, in fact, had dominion over us. And this is how the world had been working even in the past. But not Jesus. Jesus was named Jesus not by any man, but by God himself. We are able to celebrate because you once had a name that didn't lead to life. We were able to have charity because in your new name, you were grounded in Christ and now you have true purpose and identity. What is in a name? Jesus was given the name above all names, Emmanuel. Do you know what God's promise was to Moses in Exodus 3.12? In many ways, Moses was not the super most qualified candidate to deliver God's people. Even though he grew up in the household of Pharaoh, he was banished after he murdered an Egyptian slave master. And since that time, he was just a shepherd. And it wasn't until 80, he was 80 years old, go back to Egypt, free my people. And at first, Moses doesn't want to go. And if you look at Exodus 3.11, he's trying to make excuses. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, bring your people out of Egypt? And this is the answer that Moses received. God says to him, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. That when you have brought my people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. A lot of people might think, oh, the main part is worship. It's about worship. That's the, that's the climax of this, but we miss it. The main part was that even if Moses was afraid, notice how God answers his fears. Even if we were go to the highest of the mountains, to the lowest of valleys, God answers people's fears by saying, I will be with you. And he was. When Moses faced Pharaoh, he could do so with confidence. God enabled him to do all these miracles. When Pharaoh refused, God put all these plagues on Egypt. Pharaoh relented and finally set the people free. And even in when they wandered through the desert, there was a pillar of cloud, there was a pillar of fire. God sustained them by giving them manna from heaven. 
God never left them. The promise that God gives us through this name, Emmanuel, the true miracle that has come to us here, the reason why we can celebrate is because beyond our circumstances, no matter what happens, whether we are able to worship in this place or not, the promise that we are given is that God is with us. You know, if our greatest need was political stability and security, God would have simply sent us a politician. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. And if our greatest need had been money or to fix our economy, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, or for us to be entertained, then God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. This is why we can celebrate. This is why we can have charity. The true miracle that we recognize as Christians is that Jesus came to us and the promise that was given to us is that God is with us. That's why we can sing, oh, what a savior. Oh, what a savior. As we live out this season of Advent, I pray that we won't forget it. It's so easy to forget. And I, I say this to myself too. Man, tomorrow I think we have this um, praise team, like, Gift exchange, I'm part of two families now, so there's like four gift exchanges. I don't know how that happens, it just did. And um, there's other groups, that there's gift exchanges, so I'm calculating in my head, I need about seven gifts. How do I buy seven gifts? And then, I'm married now, so I probably have to give a gift there too. <laughs> uh, that was a bad joke. Well, I don't know why you guys are laughing, you should be mad, so how dare you. Uh, but. Um, you know, I have two sets of parents. Like, I get like all these gifts, and then you could get anxious. And in your anxiety, or you could be on the other side. When you're a kid, you're so excited. When I was a kid, I was so excited for Christmas. Whenever I got socks or something like that, I would hate that relative. I was like, why would you do that? I was like, you could give me socks on like February or any other month. But it's Christmas. Give me my toy. And I would think like that. And you could be like, that. Oh, I wonder what I'm going to get for Christmas. But you see, the fallacy of thinking in either terms is we make the story about Joseph. It's not about Joseph. The reason why we get anxiety is because we keep on thinking Christmas is about Joseph. It's not about Joseph. Christmas is about a Savior. And we needed it. And we were given the Savior. That's why we can celebrate and that's how we could have charity. As we recognize this miracle, I pray that this knowledge would grow deeper and wider through this season as we start the series. And as it does, I pray that our hearts will change, our minds will be transformed, and our spirits will be renewed. So that instead of anxiety in this season, we will have reason to celebrate, reason to have joy unending, and strength to give charity. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for this time and the message that you've given us. Lord, when we say, here comes the miracle, we know it's not about us, but it's about you. But what a joy it is that we can share in this celebration and even in this charity. I pray that as we reflect, Lord, do as your word says and transform our minds. Renew our spirits so that we will not walk away the same, anxious, naming ourselves ever so incomplete. But we will find our completeness and our wholeness in you and the knowledge that you are always with us. Let's take this time to pray and reflect on the word that we've been given as we start in our church this Advent season. Let's put our eyes and our focus on the one that it belongs. And let's pray to him, asking him to change our hearts. Let's pray.